have a seat, everyone. Uh, we're having a, another lesson on kingdom values, and this week we're talking about community. There we go. Okay. Remote controller. No. Go to the next one. All right. Uh, on uh, December 27th, our son and daughter-in-law who live in New Zealand uh, brought some new life into the world. And this is Lola Bro Pearson. Isn't she beautiful? Let's see if I can work around. There we go. I could put a lot of slides of Lola in here. There she is again, just gorgeous. Well, on the eighth day of her life, uh, Lola had some real issues. Uh, she was not breathing uh, correctly anymore. She had a very high fever, and they, uh, they thought she had meningitis, and that's what she was diagnosed with. And so what do you do? You know, you just pray. You ask people to pray. And we ask people in... Australia and New Zealand and Peru and Mexico and South Carolina and Louisiana and California and Arizona and even Arkansas. Everybody we knew, we asked them to pray. And the good news is little Lola is doing great. Uh, matter of fact, today in New Zealand today, which is about six or eight hours from now, it'll be it's Monday morning, she's coming home. So, community is, this is an example of beautiful community, people coming together in the name of Jesus to care for a scared family and to care for a little baby. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, while we were, uh, my wife Didi is there in the left. She's still over there. She's coming back on Wednesday. Uh, the couple on the left is Chris and Melinda Miller. The couple in the middle is Steve and Jill Rain. They were our co-workers in New Zealand when we planted a church together, starting in 1987. The first couple we met, we met and shared Jesus with is the couple on the right, with Bruce and Linda Coral. He's got an Arkansas beard, if you notice that. And uh, so we worked with these people for over a decade. We worked, we laughed, we cried, we argued, we fought, we challenged, we grieved. We worked through a lot of tough stuff. And for 37 years, uh, Jesus has brought us into a really great relationship. And it's, a, it's an example of community that's just significant, life-changing to have those kind of relationships for that long. Um, so uh, three and a half years ago, uh, I was working with a, a large church in Houston, and I was the adult discipleship minister. That meant mainly small groups and adult ed. I, I felt like I was in the best place I'd ever been spiritually in my walk with God. Uh, DD and our relationship was the best it had ever been. Uh, we'd just done a major rethink about adult education, and I, it's a long story, but it, it turned out beautifully and powerfully way beyond what we imagined. 
And we were in the middle of doing the same type thing with the small groups. We had about 35 or 40 small groups we were working with and praying and seeking God in that and how to do that in a more effective way to making disciples. Things were going so well, Dee and I felt like God had called us to plant another church. So uh, the northwest area of Houston is going to add another million people in that corridor. And uh, we wanted to plant something different, something that would really be more focused on people who don't have a religious background and that kind of thing. Well, the church we went to, the elders had announced that they were interested in start planting churches. So this, this seemed ideal. So we organized a meeting, us and another couple we've been working with for about a year on the whole preparation for church planting. And anyway, we had a meeting with the elders and, uh, you know, seeking to have a partnership with them. And the meeting didn't go well. Uh, a couple of the elders just about accused me of trying to split the church. And I'm like, split the church? I have, I have no desire to split the church. And matter of fact, I, I don't think many of our members would actually go to the church for a planting because we're designing it differently. And uh, the meeting went on and on, and Kyle and I were both just like, what is going on here? And it, it ended, and it was just painful. It was a little bit disillusioning as you're walking away from them. So waited a week or two weeks or three weeks, and finally four weeks later, they wanted to have a meeting, and they said, okay, uh, we're not going to church plant anytime soon, and we're going to eliminate your position off the staff. Like, what? <laughs> where, where did that come from? And we were having financial problems. Uh, we were, Houston is heavily dependent upon the oil business. We'd had a bunch of layoffs. We were about two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 behind on our budget. But I didn't anticipate that. And, I mean, church, what do you do? What do you do when something like that happens? And just ask God, help. Lead us, guide us here. Give us some direction on what you want us to do. And spent some time praying, and uh, I did not want to get another ministry job. I was trying to get something in HR because my background is teaching, and I felt like that would be a, a good place to be. Uh, and uh, Jessica and Ryan, our daughter and, and son-in-law, and three grandkids had moved up here. And uh, my mother-in-law lived up here in northwest Arkansas, as well as both of these sisters and their husbands. So we prayed about it, and we felt like God was calling us to come up to Northwest Arkansas. A lot of good things happened then. Uh, we had the, our house sold quickly and, and profitably. Uh, Dee Dee was able to transfer with her job. Uh, Jessica and Ryan built a new house. They had a, a room that we could stay in, and they offered that to us for as long as we needed. Uh, we showed up at New Heights Bentonville at the, uh, the other school, and uh, I think the second Sunday we jumped into a discovery group and we met some people and that discovery group became a community group and people who loved us really well and who we love a lot and just a lot of good things happening I started substitute teaching uh, within a couple of weeks of getting here uh, for uh, Bentonville and Rogers middle schools and high schools working every day and then I started ubering too couple months later just trying to make a little more money on that situation and it was late night Fridays late night Saturdays going down to Dixon Street that's the only way to make a lot of money Ubering is driving drunks around but anyway it's a good deal so a lot of good things were happening and, and the transition was blessed in so many ways but 
days became weeks, and weeks became months. And I, I had a few interviews, but not much. And then it became summertime where I couldn't substitute teach, so I'm Ubering 10, 12 hours a day. And I, I've made up like 20 different uh, resumes, and, and nothing's happening. And then I had my 57th birthday. And just inside my thinking, there was all of this negative stuff going on. You're never going to have a real job again. It felt incredibly oppressive. So I'm driving a guy, uh, Ubering him to downtown Bentonville, and he had moved here from VFW area. And he, uh, he, we were chatting back and forth. He'd been unemployed for a while. And he said, uh, hey, man, there's tons of HR jobs in VFW area. I'm like, okay, so I go online when I get home and I'm searching all this, and there's tons. Obviously, there's five million people in DFW, so there's a whole lot more going on. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to apply for a job and I'm going to get a job. That was my plan. So I tell my wife about that. She's not excited about that plan. She thinks it's a bad plan. We've just landed here, we've only been here less than a year. and. And she doesn't want to do that. It doesn't sound very good. And then I share it with Jessica and Ryan, and they were kind, but you could tell they didn't think it was a good idea. And I shared it with our community group. You know, this is what we got to do. This is what I got to do. And, and they were all very nice, but you could tell they didn't think it was a good idea. But you know what? They were all wrong. So I had to figure it out. I made a plan. I gave God my plan. Bless my plan, God. This is what I got to do. I got to get a J-O-B. So one Saturday morning, I packed everything up, a bunch of interview clothing, and, and had already set up several interviews down there and hopped in my car and started driving down to uh, Dallas area. So I've been driving a little bit, and I get a phone call from my son, CJ, who at that time lived in Dallas. And he said, Dad, I love you. I would love to have you locally here where we could hang out more, but I don't feel like this is a good time. And so I say, CJ, you know, you don't understand. I got to get a job and all my justifications and excuses for that. And we chatted for a while and we hang up. About 30 minutes later, continue driving. I get a call from Chet Churchill, one of my friends from Texas A&M days who I hadn't speak, spoken to in 35 years. <laughs> uh, we've recently connected on Facebook. That's how I had my phone number. And Brother Chris, what's going on? Well, I'm driving to Dallas. He's asking the story. He, he knows Dee Dee. What does Dee Dee think about that? And I said, well, she just doesn't understand. <laughs> and uh, then after a few minutes of that, he says, well, Brother Chris, this doesn't sound like a very good time. I'm like, Chet, you don't understand. Yada, 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 yada. Finished the conversation. Then about 30 minutes, well, I, was, I was nearing halfway there, I, I get a call from Billy Smith. And uh, <sighs> Billy loves me well in his family. He says, you know, are you driving? I said, yep, I'm headed down there. And we chatted for a little bit. And Billy said, this doesn't seem like a good time. And I said, you don't understand. Yada, yada, yada. I hung up the phone. And God reminded me of this really stupid preacher story where this guy's drowning. He's in a flood and he's drowning and he cries out, God, rescue me. And so 
God, uh, so a, a canoe comes along. And the guy says, hey, let me help you, man. He goes, no, God is going to rescue me. And then a motorboat comes along. They offer to help him. He says, no, God's going to rescue me. Then a helicopter comes along. The guy comes down the ladder and says, let me help you, man. He says, no, God's going to rescue me. And he drowns. And then he sees Jesus. And he says, why didn't you rescue me? And he said, I sent a canoe, a motorboat, and a helicopter. Man, what more did you need? I heard that story in my head. Man, what more do you need? So I pulled over into Burger King in uh, McAllister, Oklahoma, and I just wept like a baby. Uh, fear, confusion, shame. And then I was going to have to swallow this jumbo-sized pride I carry around inside of me. He sent three different messengers to tell me. So I had one of the world's worst hamburgers, and I started driving back. So I'm driving back and kind of rehearsing what I'm going to say in my mind, and I get back, and Dee Dee's gracious about it all. Jessica and Ryan are, are really great. The grandkids love me anyway. <laughs> they don't care, which is great. Uh, I told them I'm not going to church the next day. You know, can't do that. But I got up, and I came and gathered with you guys, because that's what you do. It's just what you do. And everyone was very gracious and kind. And just telling you the rest of the story, the next week, that next week, I had a, an interview with a brand-new little startup company here, Walmart, and uh, the next week I started working for them. And it wasn't a great job, but it was a real job and a regular job and a, working around the same people every day, and it was a blessing from God. It led to the job that I have now, working for Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is my favorite job I've ever had in my entire life. The reason I'm, I'm sharing this is this is just such an important way that God works through community. I want to say this, and this seems counterintuitive, maybe the most beautiful way God works in community is when someone tells you something difficult or painful. I want to tell you, I know the people who love me most. It's the people who speak truth to me. Right? They're willing to risk the relationship and say difficult and hard things. It can be in marriage, it can be in work situations. It can be in a small group at church. It can be in a lot of different contexts. But community is sometimes most beautifully seen in those kind of situations. So this morning, I really kind of just have one point. Uh, when I was being trained to be a preacher, they, the question was, how many points should you have? And the, the professor said, at least one. So <laughs> I got one. Um, get to it. <clears throat> the only way community works is if you invite God into it to lead it. So in our, our marriage situation, Didi and I are so jacked up. God's been so gracious with us for so long. And uh, many times I'd be so frustrated with her and I'm blaming her for everything wrong in my life. And, and I would talk to God about it and I'd tell him, God, Didi did this, or she didn't do that, and this and the other. And I would hear this whisper, 
Oh, I, I know that's difficult, Chris. I love Jesus. And I want you to love Judy like I love her. Oh, gosh. How do I do that? And uh, in, in coworkers in ministry, I mean, we've gone head to head. I thought one time I felt deeply betrayed by a coworker, some things that he did. And, uh, and you go to God and you tell him about it. God, this person did this and they said this and they undermined me and they, they lied about me and said something that was untrue. And, and what does he say? He didn't say, well, get rid of that loser, Chris. He would say things like, oh, Chris, I know that's painful. I know that's difficult. Please forgive them. Just like I forgive you, please forgive them and love them. And uh, I've been in many, many small groups. I figured out the first one was 1979. That's before small groups were a thing. Uh, and probably you don't have a situation, but I've been in small groups where people are imperfect. Sometimes they don't commit well. Sometimes they don't follow through. Sometimes they're unkind, et cetera, et cetera. And every time I've gone, as I've matured more, I would take that to God and i tell him just about how my small group is really not doing very well. And... And he would say this same thing. Oh, I know that hurts when someone lets you down. I know that's painful. I'm with you. I know what it's like to be let down. But I love them so much. And I want you to love them too. The only way community works is when you invite God to lead it. It's the only way. All right, here's some biblical reminders. Number one, Satan hates Christian community. He hates it. He despises it. He's looking for ways to steal and kill and destroy. If you see there on the left, this is the, this is the invitation he gives to you every day to, uh, to live in shame and to go into hiding and experience isolation and then loneliness and then hopelessness. If you've been doing this a while, you know that path really well. Uh, and it just it tears apart community is a part community. It's what he is after. Next one. And the reason that you get hurt in community, because you are going to get hurt in community, is because everybody's in process. Everybody in your group, I don't care whether they're 16 or 69, they're still in process. This passage, I love this passage in Ephesians 4. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Next slide. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of this one body. So he's saying there's this process of putting off and putting on. And we're all in that process. And what happens is, because we're all putting off and putting on, and you start speaking truthfully to your neighbor, you hurt one another. And when you're hurt, you get angry. What's the very next verse say? In your anger, do not sin. And you know how that works. It's, it's, it's one or two ways. One is we withdraw because we're hurt. And we go and have our little pity parties, sort of my favorite thing to do. Or we counterattack. 
We go for the jugular, and we come back in hateful and, and painful and difficult things, gossip, whatever, on other people. In your anger, when it's painful, don't sin. Don't, don't let the sun go down. Deal with this stuff immediately, which just looks a lot like forgiveness and loving people. All right, next one. Uh, this guy came up with these uh, phrases back in 1962. I can't remember his name. He's a sociologist. Forming, storming, norming, and performing. And this has been shown over and over scientifically, you bet. But it's marriages, and it's workplaces, and it's small groups, and it's everything. Forming is that, you know, honeymoon stage, forming, getting to know each other, uh, more information, what are we going to do together, this, that, and the other. Storming is when we're a little more real with each other, or a little more honest with each other, and we begin to see people and their flaws, and, their, and they say things they shouldn't say, or don't say things they should, etc. and storming starts. Norming is when you begin to deal with that stuff. Norming is when you begin to listen more and forgive more and talk about difficult things and experience healing. Performing is what looks like when you come out of that. This is in a marriage or a small group or a workplace. One and one doesn't equal two. One and one equals ten. It is powerful. And I, I love this quick story in Acts chapter 4. They're looking at Peter and John realize they are unschooled, ordinary men. They're like, none of this makes sense. These are just ordinary country dudes. And yet they're doing something, turning the world upside down. Why? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's performing. People who have been hanging with Jesus. All right, last one here. The challenge in this and the goal is not to show up to a generic church service. I'm glad if you came today. But this is very little community. The challenge is loving flesh and blood people. You know, when I made a, a, a covenant in 1982 to Dee Dee Bro, it was to a flesh and blood person. She was a real person. I didn't make a commitment to marriage. That was too easy. I made a commitment to a human being. And that's brought all kinds of challenges and all kinds of beauty beyond measure. If you knew us, you would know that. That's how God works. And that is how things work, right? Billy Smith. <laughs> I didn't tell him I was going to do this. But you're on the front row, man. So... <laughs> You make a commitment to a human being, and Billy is right below perfect. He's not quite perfect yet. <laughs> Pam is shaking her head. But you make a commitment to a human being, and you learn to love and to listen and to understand. And, and a lot of stuff you don't really care about anymore. And God uses that in, in, in special ways. Look at the story in uh, all the Gospels. Look at the, the, um, the followers of Jesus, the twelve. They're fumbling, stumbling idiots. They do not get it. Just over and over again. Jesus is about to die, and they do not get what's going on. But in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. And the Spirit is a game changer when it comes to community. He comes, and he transforms them 
just say a lot about this. There's one passage from 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Spirit comes and it is given to us and in us for the common good. And beautiful things happen in that. There is nothing more winsome than seeing a broken vessel that is filled with treasure. And that is us. And that is our marriages. And that is our small groups. Flawed people. All on process. Yet filled with something incredibly beautiful. So beautiful, even the world notices when we live this way. All right. One more. Uh, I'm share this. And Jason, come on, come on up here. I love this uh, quote from Paul Tripp. Uh, we weren't created to be independent, on an autonomous or self-sufficient. We're made to live in humble, worshipful, and loving dependence be upon God and in loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all we need within ourselves. So we settle. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us are trying to point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given us. Good. Thanks. Hey guys, our desire for everyone here at New Heights in our body is to be in a healthy community. It's always been the desire um, from the beginning of New Heights. <clears throat> we are, and we've said it, you've heard this over and over up here, we are a a bunch of small groups that gather on Sunday morning together, and we, and we worship together. Then we go back out during the week, and we meet in our smaller groups. And the mission for our groups as we're meeting is to create environments where you can connect with God and one another. And beyond that is a vision. And just for a vision, just a caveat to this, a vision is something that we haven't quite yet achieved but it's where we're going. And the vision for our small groups at New Heights is that within each group, you are known and you are cared for and you're growing in relationship with God and with one another. And as a group, we're building relationships and being salt and light in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the broader community. So it's, it's you know, one, one thing I want to note right now one thing I don't want you to hear, we're excited about a new building today, right? We're excited about that news. The one thing for the impact that it does not have on our small group ministry is that we're not going to stop meeting in homes. We're not going to stop meeting in our community and our neighborhoods. That is a strategy that is a biblical strategy that we will maintain. And I just want you guys to know that. There's so many opportunities that a building does produce, but that's not one of them, guys. We're still going to be in our neighborhoods and still in our homes, and we're excited about that because that's where incredible things happen, just like the stories we've heard from Chris this morning. So I've been invited to come up here today because I want to invite you into community. 
into broader community, greater community. And so I do have a question for all of you, regardless if you're in community or not. So the first one is, this question is for everybody, and I'll unpack this in two ways. So first, my question is, where are you within this mission and vision of our church community ministry? Where are you? So if you missed it, the main place to plug into our church body is not just in these seats on Sunday morning. It's within a smaller group of folks committed to growing in relationship with one another and becoming more like Christ each day, right? Folks that know you and care for your walk with Christ so much so that they can watch our blind spots in life. You know, whenever maybe we're picking up some bad habits. Folks that can be with us in moments of hardship and grief and also in those celebration moments in life to enjoy the blessings that God has bestowed on all of us, right? So guys, this, this is so incredibly important. Our groups, our people, as like Chris was saying, we're not perfect, right? And thank God we're not because we're not supposed to be at this point. But because of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, our people are incredibly loving and we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. And we're willing to do this life with you. So if you are not in a community group, I want to invite you into one. That's, that's the invitation this morning. Come be a part of a community group. Yeah, it's vulnerable. It's messy. We've heard about a lot of that from Chris at this point. But being known and doing life together, that's Christ's plan for all of us. So if you're not in a small group, let's, let's get you into one. That's one. There are several ways to do this. Uh, one is to text NHB info. Uh, should have a slide on that, please. Thanks. Um, Here, there we go. So NHB info, do the number 97000. That'll send you a link that you can uh, click on under community, click on find a group, and, and uh, just fill out that information. I'll be in touch with you this week to talk through next steps for getting you plugged into a community. All right, so that's, that's for folks that, um, that are not in community. You can also call or text me or just grab me. It's, that'll work just as fine too, uh, just as well. If you're already, already in a small group, if that's you, I'm going to ask you the same question this morning. Where are you in this mission and vision of our church community? Where are you at? We're a growing church. Hey, guess what? This semester alone, we have 50 people signed up for Discovery. 50 people. That is incredible. Guess what comes with church growth? We need small groups, and we need more leaders. And so how do you know at this time if being a leader is, is for you, right? Well, number one is pray. Pray about it and listen. That's a really good way to start. Hey, and another thing is, if, if the first thing that comes to your mind about thinking about being a small group leader is, uh, yeah, 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 that's not me, bro. That's, that's probably you, most likely. Pray about that. Give that over to God. Let, let the Holy Spirit answer that for you. Um, if you've been part of a, here's a couple other things we can look at. If you've been part of a small group for a while, if you've been leading it or an active member, uh, is it time that God's tapping you on the shoulder and asking you to step out and lead a new group? So if you're a leader, is it time for you to maybe grab somebody that you're close with and, and, and get out of the way and let somebody else step up in leadership of your group so they can grow in, in, their, in their giftings and for you to lead a new group? Or if you're a member, maybe, maybe you've been a part of a group for a while, it's healthy, but it's time for you. It's time the Lord is, is, is tapping your shoulder and saying, it's time for me maybe to grab somebody else and step out and lead a new group. And if either of those scenarios are you, I want to talk to you. I want to sit down. Let's have coffee. Let's talk about a healthy transition 
into a group leadership to look like. Again, you can, you can text that number, you can, you can go to lead a group, but just come grab me also, and we can talk, let's have a conversation. The one caveat, the one last thing I'll say on this is, if you are going to lead a group, just know you're not gonna be just raised up and abandoned. You're actually going to be cared for throughout your leadership at New Heights. We're gonna pair you with somebody, the entire time you're a leader, we're gonna, we're gonna walk with you, we're gonna develop you, and we're putting more things in place as we move forward to help develop our leaders here at New, New Heights to be healthy and godly community group leaders and grow spiritually. All right, guys, no matter what, wherever you find yourself in the community mission and vision of our church, I just pray that you're growing in your relationship with Christ. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your time. Right. Thanks, Jason. I wanna finish with uh, one passage in Mark 4, this is beautiful. That day, evening came, they'd been serving and taking care of each other and that kind of thing. He said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, Jesus. There was also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Just think about that for just a minute. The creator of heaven and earth is in your boat, and you're worried that you're going to drown. He got up, <clears throat> rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down. It was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? And this is the painful one. Do you still have no faith? Like, do you still have no faith? None? They were terrified and they asked him, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So a couple of things. Uh, expect storms. Storms are going to come. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. If God loves you, storms are going to come. Because he loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Right? So difficult things are going to happen. And Jesus promises that. We don't put it on our billboards at our churches enough. He promises suffering. He promises difficult times are going to happen. And it's because he loves us. It's because he wants to draw us close to him. It's because he's working in all kinds of ways. So when the storm comes, resist the urge to run away and flee. Resist the urge to counterattack and, and cause more damage. Go to Jesus. Tell him about it. You, you don't have to come to a church building to do that. He's not going to be busy. He's not going to be on his iPhone somewhere. He is with you and he is in you. And he will hear you. And he will hear your heart. It's the gift of the gospel that Jesus has made all this possible. So expect storms, turn to Jesus, and the second one is like it. Don't try to do faith alone. It's a very American thing to do. And let me tell you just one secret. You can tell other people you want, but one secret. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've tried several thousand times. <laughs> it doesn't work. Doing it on your own is a really bad idea. And I know some of you have been hurt. 
I have been hurt. I understand that. God understands your hurt as well. You've got to find a way to process that hurt. That, that word that uh, I quoted a minute ago, interdependency, that's what we're looking for. Interdependency. You have to believe that Jesus works through broken people or what are we doing here, right? In some ways, Jesus works most beautifully through broken people. So we're going to start the, the music here in just a moment. As you're going to have the supper, you can go on to the next slide. Uh, communion, Eucharist, whatever you like calling it. Uh, I want to invite you just to do like we normally do. It's all set up like that. And, and as you go back there, if you see anyone on their own, invite them to go with you. Never leave people alone. We should always do this together. But as you get together and grab the cup and grab the bread, just take a moment with your little groupings and, and ask people, what's God saying to you about community this morning? Take, take a few seconds and just debrief that. And then take the bread, the body which Jesus died for, and eat it. And take the cup, his blood poured out for us, and drink it. And celebrate the gift of community.